0: Hello everybody, Kyle here, and welcome back to a new episode of my Communist Book Club. Thank you all for letting me take a week off as I had my dog Louie into the vet. He had to get some surgery uh, due to an infected tooth that had to be extracted. That was a whole ordeal. So thank you for giving me some time to focus on that. He is back on the mend and very, very happy. So here we are sitting down to conclude on The Beauty of Dictatorship, and the mysteries of butterflies crushed against the pavement in Svetlana Alexievich's *Secondhand time, The Last of the Soviets. Today's episode is going to be a bit shorter, as this chapter conclusion, as it was split for me on Audible, was also a bit shorter. This was, I think, half or less the length of our previous chapter. This is going to be them giving concluding arguments on the themes they've been uh, preaching throughout the last couple episodes. Before we dive into that, some minor housekeeping as well to say, huge shout out to my friend Andre for teaching me uh, Russian patronomic names. That concept was actually completely unfamiliar to me. As a guy living in America, we don't do anything very similar to that, at least not that I'm aware of. So uh, apologies that in the last couple episodes, I was referring to people in the wrong context. I'll do my best to correct that going forward. I also have to give a huge thank you to Mina for pledging some financial support to us through Anchor. Huge, huge thank you for keeping the show going. Uh, It means so much to me as an independent content creator. So I I just thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I hope you continue enjoying the episodes we put out here. Without further ado, let's let them kick it off.
1: Anna Ilinichna, I woke up from the clamor. I opened the window. They'd come into Moscow. The capital was filled with tanks and armored vehicles full of troops. The radio. Quick, turn on the radio. The radio was broadcasting an address to the Soviet people. A deadly danger looms over our motherland. The country is plunging into a maelstrom of violence and lawlessness. We must wipe the streets clean of criminal elements, put an end to this time of troubles. It was not clear whether Gorbachev had stepped down from office for health reasons or if he'd been arrested. I called my husband, who was at the dacha. There's been a coup d'etat. The power is in the hands of, You idiot, hang up the phone. They're going to come for you. I turned on the TV. All of the channels were playing Swan Lake. But I was seeing flashes of very different images. We're all the children of Soviet propaganda. Santiago in Chile. The presidential palace burning. Salvador Allende's voice. The phone calls began. The city was full of military equipment. Tanks standing on Pushkin Square. In Theater Square. My mother-in-law was visiting. She got terribly scared. Don't go outside. I've lived through a dictatorship. I know what this means. But I didn't want to live under a dictatorship. After lunch, my husband came back from the dacha. We sat in our kitchen, smoking like chimneys. We were afraid that our phone was tapped, so we put a pillow on top of it. We'd read our fill of dissident literature. We'd heard enough stories. It had all finally come in handy. They'd given us a little air. Now everything was going to go on lockdown again. They'd chase us back into the cage, rub us into the asphalt. We'd be like butterflies crushed against the pavement. As we pick up with that clip from Anna Ilinichna, we hear
0: in the last couple episodes that she is our anti-communist voice. And in that, she describes the fear surrounding the coup get off the phone, we buried the phone under the pillow, we so couldn't be heard or bugged. All these aspects of fear, uh, the idea that turning on the radio, there was no news coming through. And this is only a small clip of what's relayed throughout. Again, I, I'm only taking brief clips from these chapters, but a lot of good insights into the confusion of information at the time. That goes for, I think, any government or country when you have coup-like situations information is very hard to get a hold of, and when you get it, you don't really know the accuracy of it. In modern times, we see that with countries being shut out of the Internet. Grossly, a lot of American companies are involved with that, giving uh, countries abroad the ability to curtail their own citizens from accessing the Internet and further
1: firewall administration-type things. We've just been discussing Tiananmen Square talking about the recent developments in Tbilisi. How they dispersed a demonstration with shovels. The storming of the television tower in Vilnius. While we were sitting around reading Shalamov and Platonov, my husband said, civil war has broken out. People used to argue in their kitchens and go to demonstrations. Now we're going to start shooting each other. That was the mood. It felt like catastrophe was at hand. We never turned off the radio. We kept turning the dial, but every station was just playing music. Classical music. Then, suddenly, a miracle. Radio Russia started working again. The legally elected president has been forced to resign. There has been a cynical attempt at a pooch. That's how we found out that thousands of people were already out in the streets. Gorbachev was in danger. To go or not to go? There was no question. We had to go. My mother-in-law tried to talk me out of it at first, like, Think of your child. Are you crazy? Where are you running off to? I didn't say anything. She saw we were getting ready to go. Since you're such huge idiots, at least bring some baking soda solution with you so you can wet cloths and put them over your faces if they start gassing you. I made a three-liter jar of baking soda solution and ripped up one of our sheets. We took all the food we had in the house. I dug all of the cans out of the pantry. Many people were, like us, headed down to the metro, while others were standing in line for ice cream or buying flowers. The comment about
0: the baking soda solution stands out to me as well. I noticed that in 2020, there were a lot of viral videos online about how to make a uh, kind of a a protest bag with all kinds of essentials, things to keep your eyes safe from gassing and all kinds of ingredients to to help uh, aid yourself and others if, if that situation occurs. I find that just to be a very scary sign of the times, sign of frustration, and maybe potentially, hopefully, most of all, a sign of progress in that people want change. As I've had some time recently to reflect on many of these things, uh, with world events and just the continuous negative news here in the United States, for example, recently, um, millions of people in, in the state of Texas went without power just because of petty politics that kept them off of the national grid. I'm vastly summarizing or uh, downplaying a, a much larger issue. Many people died from, from the extreme cold that was happening at the time. It all could have been prevented, but petty politics put us in that position. It's scary to see these frustrations boiling up in the way that they are out of of sheer necessity, and my heart goes out to all the people that are, are hurt, uh, uh, both sides, the people that are out there protesting for change, the people that are hurt just trying to live their lives and pay their taxes and be, quote, good citizens. I find these parallels to be timeless. And uh, it's it's why I'm a little bit quiet with this chapter. This is this is their summary. So I really want to let these stand uh, to highlight here. I want to put these ones on a
1: pedestal. Anna Ilyenichna. You could laugh at the way we were and call it a musical comedy. Mockery is in style these days. But everything that happened was in earnest, sincere. It was all real, and we were all real. Unarmed men and women stood in front of the tanks, prepared to die. I sat on those barricades and saw those people. They'd come from all over the country. There were some old Muscovite ladies, God's dandelions. They'd bring meat patties, warm potatoes wrapped in towels. They gave everyone something to eat, including the men in the tanks. Eat your fill, boys. Just don't shoot. Are you really going to shoot at us? The soldiers had no idea what was going on. When they opened up the hatches and climbed out of their tanks, they were shocked. All of Moscow was there. Girls would climb on top of the tanks and hug and kiss them, feed them rolls. Soldiers' mothers, whose sons had died in Afghanistan, wept, begging them. Our children died on foreign soil. Are you planning on dying here in your own country? Some major. When the women surrounded him, he couldn't handle it anymore. He screamed, I have kids too. I'm not going to shoot anyone. I swear I won't. We're not going to go against our own people. So many funny and touching things happened. Things that reduced us to tears. Suddenly, shouts swept the crowd. Does anyone have any Validol? Someone is ill. The pills materialized instantly. This segment
0: speaks even further to the idea of the momentum, the, the will of the people. Uh, in this case going out there in the streets and protesting. We just heard her comment on someone being ill in the crowd and immediately the the medication materialized thanks to people being so helpful to one another. It being, again, a culmination of a, a lot of people's interest and humanity boiling forward, helping one another in times of struggle. But this view is not necessarily shared by everyone, including her friend who is sitting again across the room.
1: Parting ways. I ask them how they've managed to remain friends, which, as it turned out, they had been since college. We agreed never to talk about these things. We have no interest in hurting each other's feelings. We used to get into fights, stop talking. Sometimes we wouldn't speak to each other for years on end. But all that has passed. Now we only ever talk about our children and grandchildren what we're growing at our duchas. When our friends get together, not a word about politics. Everyone came to this by their own path. We all live together, the gentlemen and the comrades, reds and whites. But no one wants any more shooting. There's been enough blood. And there you go, folks.
0: As we wrap up the first part of 10 stories in a red interior, we're left with a tip on how to stay friends with different political views. Just don't talk about it. That being said, uh, uh, we are here to talk about these things. You, me, uh, the listeners at large, we're here to discuss and share ideas. So please, if you have thoughts or opinions on these chapters, get in touch. I have all the contact information you need in the show notes below. I wanted to keep this one very, very brief, uh, taking this time for myself, my family here. I hope you are taking good care of yourselves, staying healthy. Um, to my friends out there that have already reached out to the show, thank you so much. I appreciate the the love and the, the, the care you've shown, the educating and the sharing of information. It's just been truly, truly wonderful, and I'm so thankful the show is well-received. If you want to continue chatting about these themes and concepts, like I said, just shoot over an email, and the next we'll be diving into on Brothers and Sisters, Victims and Executioners, and the Electorate. That is on page 78 if you're following along in the book. Um, These podcasts may have to jump to an every other week basis, just as a heads up. I'll let you know further as that goes, but I want to make sure I'm getting the time to read these chapters, think about them the way I'd like. This just worked out perfectly that we had this little tail end segment so I could fit it in here this week. And it was a good one. I didn't know exactly how to pull concepts out of this episode, as, uh, for this episode, as easily as the last, just because these were conclusions. We've already heard the meat of it. Maybe I should have tacked these on the last uh, episode, but it was very long. I didn't want to overflow it. And I just let it cut it like the book chapters had done naturally. So this was a good one. I definitely enjoyed hearing the dual opinions, hearing the views um, of someone who was pro-Gorbachev, pro-protest, uh, anti gkchp Very interesting to hear those views contrasted um, against her friend who very the opposite. Um, Elena Yurivna had said that if the GKChP had won, the world would be different. We are left wondering how that would all play out. Uh, As a friend of mine said, it seems like in the end days of the Soviet Union, the people had some of the spirit in their heart, but the people at the top did not. That continues to play out in these chapters as we hear people on both sides, uh, pro-communist and anti-communist alike, feeling that they were let down in the later days of the Soviet Union, that, that there was an absence in political spirit, and uh, ideology at the top. With that being said, let's part ways here. I hope, again, you all stay safe and healthy. We'll chat with you very, very soon. And if you need any links at all, I've got them all on a very, very handy page chaosandshadow.com forward slash Kyle has all of my projects. We may even be adding in another little podcast here and there, a very irregular one about some video games that I've been playing with friends. So go check those all out. Thank you for your time, and I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.